When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is the Anfield Raps Review Show where we look in a little more depth at the numbers behind Liverpool's win. And in this case, the win over Fulham. Uh, Liverpool 4, Fulham 3, Dan Morgan to go through with Neil Atkinson and Sean Rogers and Sean will start with the lineup and approach. I think with Liverpool the only real question or potential surprise you could have was Gravenberg going again after Thursday given he's had a recent injury. Maybe the omission of Jones in there. If Jones doesn't play the other night you, you maybe expect him to get the start in this one. It's It, it feels more what Fulham do that is of, of interest and, and maybe plays into how the game goes. You know, they set up with a 4-2-3-1, which isn't unusual for them, but it's it's really more of a free roll for Pereira, who likes to join in on the left. They will be doing so as well. Um, they batter us in terms of our left centre-back, left-back side from goal kicks. Van Dijk has to win 7 out of 10 aerial duels, so they fancy Jimenez on him there, which we can argue is a little bit more unusual in terms of somebody actually targeting Van Dijk, if you like. And then there's everything that, that comes from that, which we'll we'll get into in a bit more detail. But line up pretty much as expected, you'd say, for Liverpool? Yes, neither set of 11s I don't think will have surprised many people. They didn't surprise me in terms of the, the 11s themselves. It, it was revealing early on in the game and then throughout the match, looking at what was the plan for both coaches with and without the ball. Start with Fulham on that one, I guess. It was just as an aside, very frustrating that a number of the Fulham players who were poor in the Fulham United game that we all watched <laughs> decided to turn up at Anfield and, and put in high level performances. But we are where we are on that. No, no less than Jimenez playing bloody Pete Drop, but as he, as he tends to at Anfield. But in terms of Fulham, I thought Silver was just full of common sense in that with the ball, there's no attempt to play in their defensive third at all. A, because they obviously don't want to lose the ball to Liverpool in that area and Liverpool's uh, renowned pressing in that area. But I suspect they'll have watched a lot of the tapes from the home games this year. And I think Aston Villa stands out like a bit of a sore thumb where Villa try and play out from the back. They probably don't do it as well as they can, but Liverpool were really, really good that day. 
uh, at high press. And, and I think Fulham sort of stagger their approach as they go higher up the pitch in terms of when it's in our defensive third, we go long to Jimenez, we look to pick up the bits from there. And then sort of in the middle third and attacking third, as we get higher, we're more willing to play a little bit. And we particularly want to focus on the wide areas. And like you referenced correctly, particularly the left-hand side, we've had a look at the stat zone, pass maps, and there's a distinct lack in the middle of the pitch centrally of Fulham trying to play or pass the ball in those areas. And a lot of that is because they're trying to get that triangle on the left-hand side of Pereira, Wobi, Robinson, and and then on the right-hand side to a slightly lesser extent, trying to get Reed, Tet and Wilson in and around Jimenez to pick up the loose balls with, with with Reed and Polina in particular, then trying to lock on. And then without the ball, they kind of have Jimenez and, and uh, Pereira screen and McAllister. And when Trent goes into Inverne, letting the Liverpool centre-backs have it at that point. And being quite brave with the line at times as well. From from a Liverpool yeah. perspective, they it's the usual setup without the ball in terms of it being pretty 4-3-3 and, and, and ideally having that high press where they want it without the ball. You'd think it was a 3-2-2-3 in the way that Liverpool have built out. So McAllister, Trent goes and sits in alongside him in that sort of John Stones, Rodriguez style we've seen. And then the two eights go and play almost as two tens when Liverpool have got it with a fair bit of freedom in terms of grabbing Birch and some balls line moving into the Marys. And then Diaz, Nunes, Salah ahead of that. One of my bugbears with this system since we adopted it, and, and you don't want to just copy what everyone else does, but... One of the things I've liked about Arsenal and City in a bit of a defensive setup from this in transition, obviously that's bad timing with the way City are playing at the moment, but R3 seems to be very lopsided. And it tends to be, particularly with Simicas, he tends to be, and this isn't a criticism of the player, it's what Liverpool want them to do. Robertson and Simicas can be very much like a left-sided centre-back moving into more of an orthodox left-back. And the right centre-back for Liverpool, be it Matip or Canate, is not where you'd expect a third. If you're playing a back three, they're not where you would expect that right-sided centre-back to be, necessarily. And I think in this game, you see a bit of a problem for Liverpool in that quite often Jimenez is left up front, Herrera is dropping onto McAllister. Liverpool, for a long period of the game, are chasing goals. Just of course, you're going to want Simicast to get on his bike and get up the pitch. When you play the 3-2-2-3, one of the main things about it is you'd have three top defenders probably all capable of playing at centre-back in on paper in an ideal world. Liverpool don't set it up that way, where when you lose the ball, that back three is then aided by one of the two DMs dropping into centre-back, be that McAllister or Trent. So you basically create your back four in that crisis transition state. And I think the plan from Liverpool was to build in that let's call it 3-2-2-3 shape and, and and play their usual way with a mixture of width and, and playing in between the lines. But I think in transition for Liverpool, there's key bits where that shape isn't how you'd ideally want it. And I, and I think we showed against Lask that when Liverpool are in transition, what the back three do, what the two DMs are doing in terms of filling in them gaps, I think that still needs a bit of work on the training pitch. I think for yeah. me, this this is a game for me, Dan, which I feel is really defined by what Fulham do, and that feels counterintuitive. Liverpool at the home side, we've seen Liverpool do a lot of you know be, be excellent against teams this season. 
But I think Silva's come with a real plan, and I think he's really close to, to being able to say that him and his players have executed it. So there's a few things in the numbers and in the graphics that I thought were absolutely fascinating. So I'll give you a really good example. I thought in the ground, and I'm going to watch the game back, I think there's a thing where Fulham are effectively setting up. So it's a back four. Of course, it's a back four with Robinson uh, being able to be more progressive and having the capability to be more progressive than Tete. Um, then what I think they do is, while on paper, and in the pass networks, you would write it down as effectively being uh, a little bit of a, effectively of a, a, a 4-2-3-1, four, four, as has been described. I think they sit Wilson really, really deep uh, when they haven't got the ball. So Wilson sits really deep in front of Tete. And what that allows is that Harrison Reed then effectively plays almost as the central um, midfielder, pulling, pulling a little bit more to their right. And Polinia goes a little bit more to their left. So what they've created for themselves is a bit of a line where they've got Robinson, Polinia, and Iwobi all out of possession, all of whom are really strong, good players for them, players that you praise and like and respect. That's what they're doing when they, when they haven't got the ball. When they get the ball and they're able to play, they get set and something completely different happens. So the pass network and the pressures don't match up. So when you look at where the pressures are, for instance, just around individual players, where the heat maps are, Polinia's is it's in a traditional sort of number six's position, but then more of them pull toward the left-hand side of the pitch, as you'd expect within there. You look at Harrison Reeds, and Harrison Reeds all pull to the right-hand side of the pitch in there from a Fulham point of view. And then you can sort of see Pereira. What's really interesting with Pereira is his pressures pull more to the right, but in the pass network, he's more to the left. So when the set, Pereira's looking to play in the space around that left-hand side and link up with Robinson and Iwobi. And then you've got what they're doing with Jimenez. And I think what they do with Jimenez, and I think it's dead interesting what they do with Jimenez, because we've been speaking recently loads about how well Van Dijk's been playing. And I think that what they're looking to do isn't so much the idea that you can get at Van Dijk it's to really discombobulate him and not let him be Liverpool's first creative spark, not let him dictate the game. So what they're doing is they're putting the ball into that area. Jimenez is competing for it with him big time. And he basically spends the entire game, Jimenez, defending Van Dyke. That's the first thing he does. That's what he's about all the way through. And it's a really, there's a lot of humility involved in that. You know, there's a lot of, most centre-forwards, a lot of centre-forwards wouldn't be that interested in that. I don't think it's something Liverpool needs to worry about a great deal moving forward um, and one of the reasons why is that most most forwards wouldn't want to do it in, certainly in the way in which Jimenez does it so he spent he, he, you know he, when you look at the numbers Jimenez puts in the second highest number of pressures of any uh, Fulham player and that's before you take into account all the competed for clearances up against Virgil over and over again and what he's effectively trying to do is say to Liverpool you're not starting here you're not starting with him you're not letting him set the agenda. So they've got this stripe of pressure that runs down that left-hand side where Polinia, who's also arguably Fulham's best player, pulls that way in order to make it really, really hard for Liverpool to play and get going. Then you've got the stripe of pressure that's happening on the other side where Jimenez is putting that on. You've got Wilson who sits a little bit deeper. And what that does is it tempts Shimakas up. So Shimakas is moving in, not just as the idea of whether or not it's right. He's sort of moving a little bit into the trap. I think Shimakas plays really well, by the way. This isn't a criticism of him in the rounds. I think he's one of Liverpool's better performers over the whole of the 90 minutes. But the point is, is that what have they just achieved there, Fulham? Well, they've actually isolated Van Dijk a little bit and they made it a bit harder for him. And now they've got the Jimenez stuff as well. And as I say in there, you've got Polina. And there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing here where I don't think, and I was really frustrated at times with Liverpool's passing in the course of the game and decision-making, especially when they were trying to be sort of progressive. And 
looking at the numbers after the fact, Liverpool's pass completion rate is 81%. The season average for them is 85%, and that's a bit of a big difference, especially given the fact that it's at home. The 85% will be skewed by virtue of the fact that obviously Liverpool have played these games with 10 men. Uh, you know, when you begin to sort of bear that in mind. So when you actually look at where Liverpool are in terms of completion, um, you know, just at home games, it goes to 86, which again isn't doesn't feel like it's much, but I think it's quite significant. And the question in the chicken and egg sense is whether or not, basically, does what Fulham do in the way in which these set this side up a little bit asymmetrically, does that undermine Liverpool's way of playing quite markedly? Does it tempt them into balls that they shouldn't play? I think you do the same thing with the line, which is really clever and really well set from a Fulham point of view. It's just high enough to tempt Liverpool to go in behind. It's good enough on offsides to catch them on a couple of occasions, but there's actually not that much room to play in, and Bassi's got good recovery pace, as is Robinson. So you end up in this sort of situation where I really feel like Fulham couldn't have been set up any better. And it was interesting Silva's comments on match of the day where I think he really felt he'd had hard lines because I think he thinks we can't play, we can't do much more than we do here. And we've done in this game. They've scored two worldies in the first half. And then they get two in the in two minutes in the second. And yes, Liverpool do create other bits and pieces. Nunez should score on two occasions in the second half. But I think they really feel as though they could... I think Silva is really aggrieved because he's probably thinking, I can't set these up that much better. And they can't play that much better than we do. And we've still got beat. Two things I'd say on that is I think that what they do really well also is they, they decide what their risk rewards will be really well. Like they decide what to give up really cleverly. Because I think they I think what they end up where they end up is in a place where they almost say, We'll allow Simicas to be that advanced. We'll gamble that we can shift over. We'll also gamble that he's probably not that quick in the same way that Robertson is over ten yards. And I think that there's a little thing there that goes back to the last show that we talked about in terms of that triangle and those partnerships on Liverpool's left side. I think it's dead interesting that all through the game, neither of Diaz or Gravenberg getting a crossing position. They neither of them attempt to cross all game. You know, and that just that is a small microcosm of saying that Liverpool never really built up territory in their left hand attacking area. Now, how do you keep how do you keep Fulham's threat of overloading players in our left back area, in our right back area, sorry? How do you keep that quiet? How do you nullify that? You keep the ball the other side of the pitch. And Liverpool, who were, you know, were operating with a peak Sadio Mane, were really good at saying, we're going to have 10 minutes of territory, basically in your left-hand corner flag. You know, that's where we're going to play for 10 minutes. And we're just going to keep the ball around here with these three players, with Wijnaldum, with Mane, with Robertson. I think also Jimenez locking onto Van Dijk means that they can't get out in the same way. And I think, I think they've got something to look at there. I still think they've got something to look at with Diaz at that left side. I think it's still not not quite right. And I think there is a little bit now of teams going, actually, Simicas can have it. He's got decent delivery, but we'll gamble we can get over because we don't think he's the quickest on, on the transition. Just the other thing you said as well, Neil, just on the line. I, I think the game's big moment, I think the game's big swing is the chance where Nunes hits the bar because they've, they've pressed and they've gone right really high for him. And Liverpool get in behind them. And I think if Nunes puts that away, I think they drop at least five yards as a collective line. Like, I, I don't think they do that. I think they get the fingers burnt a little bit by the chance, really. And then it's never really the same opportunity for Liverpool again. But ultimately, and Neil, I'll come back to you on this, the game is defined in many ways by shots, right? 
you know, this this is a game where, you know, there's there's four incredible goals for Liverpool, but shots are really interesting. They tell a real story of the game. So Liverpool have 15 out of 26 shots outside the box. Fulham have seven out of nine. And again, that might come back to something we were talking about in the defensive press and the manager reference post-match, but I think those ratios, I think, will, will actually be a little bit concerning for them when they look back at that. The highest XG on a goal for Liverpool was 0.05. Um, Fulham's was 0.17, which I think is a little bit stingy uh, for Harry Wilson's goal. I think it was a much a much better chance than that. Um, overall, XG points to a scoreline of around 2-1 to Liverpool. What, what do... What do the shots, what do the XG, what do the numbers tell us about how both teams attacked in the game? I think Liverpool don't fancy the keeper. And I think it's a really interesting little point. And I think that you get to see that early on. I think they don't think the keeper holds things. Mm. And they're sort of indicated really early on. And in a way, that's possibly the worst thing that happens. Because they get, a, they, 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 they get what they've been told will happen. They don't get the reward for it because it's choked off because he's just marginally offside. Um, there's a bit of the break in play, which I thought I always thought was harsh uh, on the lads because he looks like he gets absolutely clattered. To be fair to him, the goalkeeper, and I think from there Liverpool think, all right, he doesn't he holds nothing. We've got proof. They said that they, they told us that in the team meeting, and it happens within within seven minutes. You know, we're, we're, we're unlucky, and I think they begin to think that this is a way home. And I think that whilst they are right, I think that there's just too much of it. Now the flip side of that is obviously, I mean, I I, I am anti shots in general. I love the McAllister one because it just sits up, and I was very much in the realm of you know you hit that because it, it was it was you know what the ball was doing was so lovely for him and and he strikes it he strikes it beautifully, but I think that there's some others in there where Liverpool are just effectively striking it um, too much, too early, too often, too eager uh, because they feel like they can you know like they can genuinely something. They can get somewhere and what I think is also really interesting is that in amongst all of that they end up with 12 shots on target to me that says they're hitting the keeper if you know what I mean that's a, to, to get 12 shots on target in a game actually really high doesn't happen that often but I think that part of literally what they're looking to do here is work him because we think if we work him we can get something from it they're all sniffing around him as well with everyone well, the, the, the players jumping on the keeper for every shot What's dead interesting is the reason why Salah's there to get the ball for the Enzo one is because he's actually following it in because he thinks it's if the keeper will, the keeper will put it back into play and I can score from here and then he just goes and gets the ball because he's been following it in yet again they're always there for the and I think that's a massive part of it and I think that's still a little thing with this team and this is one of the ways in which when we do talk about it as a developing team I think there is a little bit of a thing where at times I watch games and I feel as though with them what they do is they get an instruction. And they really hold to it. So they don't sort of mold it as they go. They get an instruction and they hang on to it for dear life. And they absolutely batter it. Neil Atkinson here. If you're listening to this, I've interrupted Dan Morgan and Sean Rogers talking to me about the game. Uh, that's just happened in the last couple of days. That is the review show. It happens after every single match and it's a pleasure to do. I always find researching for it to be genuinely engaging and, and genuinely educational and getting to speak to Dan and Sean is always an absolute pleasure along with any other guest uh, that we get on this show from time to time. 
we do it every single match and every single Liverpool game there's always something to learn from something to take something to be intrigued by a question to ask if not necessarily answer it is the review at the Anfield Wrap wherever you get your podcasts from it'll be free for this week share it with your friends by all means but uh, we'd like you to sign up obviously the Anfieldwrap.com forward slash subscribe Patreon uh, Google and Apple wherever you feel uh, the review will be there week after week I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, like, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Couldn't agree more with what Neil was saying. Just, I, I know I'm a bit of a geek on this because I have to be in the ground early for various things to do with children and so forth. But in the warm-up, that is the best I've ever seen. A number of Liverpool's players finish. McAllister's obviously like grabbing Birchett in the warm-up were absolutely outrageous. And I just think to, and especially when you see Trent score, I think to back up what Neil was saying, I think they fancied the chances on the keeper in terms of beating him. I think they fancied the chances with the keeper spilling stuff. And you factored in that if you're just in good nick, it's a bit of an easy one. Also with Fulham, Polina does an amazing job of filling in gaps at centre-back. There's one in the second half right in front of me where Gakpo runs through the centre-backs. And the centre-backs will probably deal with it, but Polina tracks him brilliantly and makes a fantastic challenge. And it, it's worth saying. Yeah, and it's worth saying he has, a, he has a really strong all-round game for them. But I think that does mean that if there is a space to exploit, it's the square in front of their back four. That is the, that, there isn't that much space in between players across the 18-yard line. And that's where I think Liverpool, from an, from an attacking sense, watching it back and then looking at the data is really interesting. I'm still not sure where I'm at in terms of how Liverpool attacked. Um, today, I think Nunes played better than I did yesterday. Yeah, I wasn't sure he had that good a game yesterday. I think the reason is when he gives it away in the game yesterday, he doesn't give it away as much as I thought he did. It's just bad in the way that he gives it away. So I think he just sticks it. I think you're in a chimp is out there on that point. It's worth saying for the first goal, the free kick is link is layoff and link up with Sabalzla is outrageous. It's really, really good. And that gets the free kick. All right. It's there for him to do. But the beauty of having it is that Fulham though he can run in behind, but he's so much better in the air than what we've actually seen because we don't, we don't cross the ball that much necessarily. Our team's, defend so deep with such big numbers he doesn't get that much space um, it's quite an easy thing for him to do but the ball from Canazanate and that knockdown to Salah when I watched it back the link up between Nunes and Salah is really good it just too often doesn't lead to too much if Salah squares the right foot volley which is really difficult and Diaz taps it in that's the thing that will be on loop this week again high, and that's not to do with Nunes in terms of that link up with Salah and I thought it was interesting that one of Liverpool's moves later in the game was to move Gakpo to the right side yeah, mm. and just play Salah off Nunes and it's interesting that the manager and I think rightly was like if I need to put my dice on something I'm putting it on them and he's not doing that because he doesn't like what he's seen to that point it's also worth saying the manager says after the match that he wasn't happy with the pressing from the front three so I wanted to have a look at that and I think he might be more sympathetic I think he's got a point, but 
I'm more, I'd be more critical of Gravenberg and the Bosley with and without the ball than I would yeah. from three without. Um, Nunes is top of the pressures and he's only got four pressure action fails there. Salah is second top, which you don't often necessarily see. Uh, Nunes is second in the counter pressure numbers. And this is against a side who want to go direct to Jimenez and not really give that many pressing cheese. Um I would caveat this on the, on the Nunes front, of course, that, um, what is it, the old David Coleman line, goals pay the rent and Keegan does his share. Um, look, he's he's got to be ruthless and start banging. And something I've referenced before, this, people seem to think that Haaland doesn't miss. And it's more the fact that Haaland does miss, but City normally wins, so no one talks about it. And he also bangs ruthlessly in big games when he needs to. And that's one of the good things for Nunes that comes out of yesterday in that there won't be as big a focus and heat on him. And he doesn't have to feel anything either. And we could really do with him scoring a scrappy one, I think. And and this was a game I felt we really missed Jota. If there's ever a game where you really want Jota, I mean, that second half, I was just absolutely crying out for him. In an attacking sense with Liverpool, I think, you feel like we need two Trents, but I think that's why they built Sabozlai to beat Trent in the attacking third. I think the idea was that Sabozlai can shoot from distance, similar to Trent, and get round the outside of Salah and can underlap on the inside. And in the first 10, 15 minutes, Sabozlai underlaps Salah really, really well. And I'm not sure what really happens. He's, he just has, he starts getting a bit inconsistent with some of his play. It's about slight. And it looks to me like he blows up. Uh, when the manager made his subs, I thought they were one of the worst set of substitutions and tactical changes Klopp had ever done. But then watching it back, I have a bit of sympathy. I'm not, I think he says he thought McAllister was gassing out. I just I think McAllister had too much on because of yeah. Graham Birch and Sabozlai. I think that's yeah. what he says. I think that's more of what he's saying, actually. I I I think he should have kept McAllister on, and the sub was grabbing Benetch and Zabozlai off, and I think that's why Liverpool struggled down the right hand side because you got Trent inverted. Salah gets a lot of touches in the game, but he's got no movements around him, and Robinson has a great game. Robinson can have some really bad games, but Robinson has one of his best games that I've seen him have, and he does a really good job. The other issue is right from the off, Tete fancies it against Diaz. Like in terms of pace, power, Tete Tete was not bothered one v one, and he and he played Diaz really well. And I think one of the issues we may have on that left side now is that Diaz isn't the same Diaz that arrived. I think maybe the injury in one v one, he's just not terrorising across people. He's now drifting inside, and he's doing a great job of making great runs inside. His aerial ability is phenomenal. And you, you see that with the corner where Salah puts it over in, in the last 10 minutes as well. Diaz drifting in, in there is really good. But when he drifts in there too early, in the second half, he's completely taking up Gravenberch's space and he's clogging up the middle of the bar. And as you say, what do you then do on the left-hand side? Because Curtis Jones can go and occupy that space really well and go inside out. But Gravenberch doesn't want to do that. And Gravenberch, if he did do that, would you really... If that were where Graven Birch would excel. And I think I think in that role, I've said before, when you play Graven Birch, maybe you play Gatpo, maybe there's an element of that. When they make the subs, they can't keep sort of keep them on and playing Gapo in the ten. We'll get that link up. But 
I think they've got to have a look at what we do down that left side in, a, in, a, in an attacking sense, I think, in terms of, I like the Zobosly, when Zobosly plays well, his link up with Salah and then Nunes sometimes going out there work. Let's well. talk about the short nails on. I think them combinations need to be at. I think they need to have a look at what they're doing there. Let's look at the subs needle in a bit more detail because they are they are quite out of character for him. And I think the thing that he references and I think the point that he's he's trying to come back to and the thing he's trying to achieve with them throughout is what's happening at six. You know, because it is I mean, it's it's Trent and Gravenberg when he does the double sub in six together. And then Enzo comes into that. They push Gomez further wide. I was really surprised when Gomez comes on. We move to that shape and he starts inverting. I just thought Gomez would, would be doing loads of right back, but none, none less though because they bring Willian on to occupy that left side who's got fresh legs. Okay, he's getting on a bit, but he can still be a threat out there. But he just doesn't feel like he's happy with what's going on at six at any point through the second half. And the, the breaks of, of, of the shape that he implements through the subs, they are quite out of character for him. I think he's not happy with what he's seeing across the whole midfield. As you said, I think he feels as though Sabozla and Gravenberg in different ways aren't held up in the Callister. But I think there's something else as well, which he, he does have an eye on Wednesday. And I think he's 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 plotting a bit of a course through the three games. And I think at the moment where he's making the subs, I think part of the reason why it's out of character, it's worth sort of saying in a bit of a way, this is the out of character clock week that you see year in, year out. If you remember... He ends up doing something a bit mad at Wolves, 21-22, with his subs, uh, as that one wears on. And in the end, Origi scores the last-minute winner. Like, I think, you know, there's there's, there's a Burnley away midweek that we've ta- we referenced before in this little run. There's a Stoke away in there. There's a 5-2 against Everton, where he changes it quite massively. This is almost his week where he, he does things that he often doesn't do, uh, because I think he's as much thinking about the week as a whole. And we know from his pre-match how he's completely into the intensity. Like when I say in, I don't think he likes it, but he, he he's all over the intensity of the way this week operates and the way in which it works. So I, I think... That's a very quick point. I think the other thing worth, worth mentioning with this is that they played 10 minutes at a time in the first half. Yeah. It was 65-minute sub. was essentially a 75-minute sub. Yeah. You know, and that, that's where that one is in there. I mean, they're just knocking it around in the first half. I think on the blowing up points, I think that there is something around Zobbers like where I feel as though he's, I, I think if nothing else, his form sort of just sort of flatlined a little bit. Um, and I do wonder whether or not the early intensity of it all, where he looked absolutely pristine at all stages, he may well now be sort of finding the, the bits and pieces of the physical a little bit tougher. I think the other thing to point out as well is he ends up, as I said before, because the way Fulham structure it, just in a bit of an ongoing duel with Polina. Who knows the ropes? I don't know the bits and pieces. And I think... Where I think, again, to go back to the idea of Silva before coming on to Liverpool subs, you know, I think if you're Silva before this game, you've got you've got the think, the think, hope and know that Sean offering threat off references from Guardiola. Let's be clear, he knows Kalina. He knows Pereira. I would argue you can say he knows Iwobi uh, because he's a good player. He's hoping around Robinson and he gets it, although Robinson slips three times in the first hour and Liverpool never take advantage of it. On all three points, he he knows around Reem, but he hopes around Bassi, and he gets what he wants out of Bassi. Bassi has a good game, and then the next one of that is he. You know, I think Tete is a bit of a hope, reads a bit of a thing, but they all play well. Jimenez, I think he can disrupt Van Dijk, but if you look at Jimenez this season, he's not looked that impressive. But fair play to both Jimenez and his manager; he gives him a job, and he absolutely nails the job. 
And I think that this is what, as I say, to go back to Silver's point, Silver, all of his certainties all come through for him. So Pellini is one of his certainties, comes through for him, 100%. Pereira is one of his certainties, he loves him, comes through for him, gets exactly the tactical job he's asked. I think it will be, you know, I think it will be his career is going to be dead interesting in that I think, for instance, you know, he's the, exactly the sort, if Tottenham make the Champions League places, he'd be a really useful squad player for them. Um, but at the minute, he's going to be a starter for Fulham on a regular basis, and he's got a bit of a decision to make around there. I think Iwobi's really good. He's just never going to have goal threat, and that's what you've got to get on board with. But he's a really useful progressor of the ball, and he does a good, smart, tactical job for you as well. Iwobi is one of his certainties, so that's fine. But Jimenez isn't a certainty. Reed isn't a certainty. Bassi isn't a certainty. Tete isn't a certainty. And all four of them play really, really well. Do the job that the manager's asked of them and do it, do it really effectively. I think that what Liverpool are trying to do is ultimately, I think the manager almost decides we're not progressing it through the thirds anywhere near well enough. So I may as well just have another forward in that. I've then got another body around there when it gets up. And it's it's a bit agricultural in a sentence, you know, often with Klopp. I think he just thinks to himself, the only one of these who's passing the ball well is Trent Alexander-Arnold. So I might as well put him in the middle of the pitch and ask him to play 30-yard passes because Gravenberg isn't passing it well. I think Gravenberg is flogged to save... I don't think he's featured on Wednesday at all, and I don't think the plan will ever have been for him to feature Wednesday, because there'll be no room for him to run into. What's he got at picking it up and running and going direct into space and running directly at the opposition goal? Well, guess what? We're going to occupy a 25, you know, 30-metre space for much of the game against Sheffield United, and he's not going to be a ton of use. So I think he thinks, well, I may as well keep grabbing Burke on here because this game's becoming a little bit of a, a little bit of a basketball match. He'll at least be able to carry it for me up the pitch, and then Trent will pass it for me. And I'm not worried about too much else. I'll give Trent another passing option. I'll see to Gomez cut, cut in and support him a little bit and we'll pop it off and, and then he can go and play and we've still got the extra body in there and we'll go from there on that. And if he can occasionally get outside the outside, great. But I think he just sort of thinks, <sighs> well, it isn't working that well. So I might as well just have another lad who might score for me on the pitch. I don't think, and if, if that makes me sound quite reductive, that's not sort of talking the manager down. I just think, he, I think he's dealing with the fact that he's got two or three I think as a whole the team's not passing well but I think within there he's got two or three who just aren't producing for him and I think it's harsh on McAllister I think actually plays well but I think the flip side of it is he thinks you know what I might as well just do this make it completely different throw the dice a little bit and I'm also sending a message to these we're winning this I've gone 4-2-4 boys I've, the, the draw's not acceptable here I've, put all, I've played all my cards so he's the best come through for me and I think he's telling them that as well I think the decision to go four four two is definitely the right one. I think the, the personnel and the, and the changes around it were really mad in the ground where they like it was wow we don't normally see this like that reference before. And just to back up what you were saying, Neil, the when you're in that three two two three build, if you think about how you've seen City and Arsenal even Liverpool do it, one of the aims is to get your wingers wide one v one v the fullbacks, and you only have to beat them once twice. I think you know get your combinations going in around them and you can potentially isolate them all for the two tens it, to be getting on it because you've changed the back line with your front three. And the issue is that Gravenberg and Soberslide just aren't performing very well in that regard. And the other issue is that Robinson, one of the issues with this shape and with Liverpool's setup is there's a lot of... People always focus on the space at the side of Matip and Canate. Something they don't talk about is the distance between Matip and Canate and Salah. And it's that space that's quite often the issue that needs filling. And that's something where Addis P, Jordan Anderson did an amazing job at A, reading it, and B, fighting them fires. A lot of people talk about him filling in as if he's filling backwards. 
it was filling in sideways that was critical. And I do think, like you say, Neil, that Zobosly maybe gets a bit preoccupied with what's going on in the middle. Um, I had a little. I think Robertson gets like 120 touches for Fulham. It suggests as well that he, he's able to back the play up down that left hand side. I just think there was a bit too much space, and I think by going to that four four two, you go okay, I can shut that down now, um, and also help the attacking side of the game as well, which, which which does make sense. I was a bit surprised that he thought it would be Gomez given the width on the right hand side, when you know in that regard. Um, it, they seem. I was like, would you really want him there crossing the balls? And but I think they, they think Gomez is very is better in those areas than perhaps I do. Okay, uh, that'll be enough for this one. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you're enjoying the the three week of Anfield rap content. Um, we will be back as ever after the next Liverpool game, which is of course against Sheffield United midweek. So huge thanks to Neil and to Sean, and yeah, see you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.